All right, well, we're continuing our series uh, called Alive with Christ, and we're discovering our spiritual riches in Ephesians. Uh, We're now in chapter four, we're in the second half, and why don't we open with a word of prayer together. Father, we thank you for this time. We recognize it's a special gathering of your saints. We are connected to each other. We belong to each other. And we're looking to each other today and to your word and to your spirit to be encouraged in the truth. And we ask that you would minister to us in a powerful way today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're continuing our series. We're in the second half of chapter 4, and Paul begins this way. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. That's a curious phrase, futility of their mind. You know, I began thinking about that and reflecting on it. It kind of reminded me of a, a hamster on a wheel, like constantly in motion, but really getting nowhere. Uh, And this is how Paul is describing an unbeliever, not to be mean or critical, but the bottom line is if you're not plugged into the life of God, then life can feel like an exercise in futility. You're working really hard and getting nowhere. You are employing gray matter. You're going to make life work. I mean, come on. You got some resources. You got an IQ. You got a good personality. Maybe you got a nice job and family. And so there's familial love. And there's the idea of working hard and getting paid. And there's enough motivation to keep on trucking through life. But in your mind, there's nothing really but futility because you're unplugged. You're unplugged from the life of God. In fact, Paul is going to say you're excluded from the life of God. So today we're going to actually be looking at what it means to be unplugged and then plugged into Christ. What does it mean to start out being plugged into Adam and then to be transferred and plugged into Jesus? Because that's really what salvation is. So until we get to that point where we're plugged into Christ, everything can look good on the outside. You got a beautiful appliance. I mean, maybe it's a blender or maybe it's a refrigerator or maybe it's a microwave. It's beautiful and shiny and glossy, but if it's not plugged in, then it's not serving the function that it's intended to serve. So that's what we're going to be seeing today. Paul goes on to describe this futility. He says, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. A lot of words here, a lot of negative words. Now, it's interesting that there's really a false teaching, a heresy going around today. It's Uh, under the guise of grace, but it goes a little something like this. The whole world is saved. They just don't realize it. The whole world is saved. They're just darkened in their understanding. The whole world has Christ and the whole world is saved, but they just don't realize it. Now, while that sounds interesting and maybe even tantalizing at first, The bottom line is it doesn't stack up to the word of God. We have a greater problem than our understanding. 
It literally says here, excluded from the life of God. This means cut off, not connected. My problem is not just my understanding. I have a darkened understanding, but it's because I have a dead heart, dead to God. So it's bigger than my understanding. The false teaching that you're already saved, the whole world is already saved. They just don't realize it. Well, that's essentially mind over matter. If you could just believe, if you could just talk yourself in, if you could just realize it's worshiping knowledge. If we just had more knowledge, then we would be able to experience what is already true and we're already saved. So that's not what Paul is saying here in Ephesians. He's saying we got a bigger problem than our understanding. We got a bigger problem than our behavior. We got a bigger problem than our thinking and our actions. We are unplugged. We're excluded from the life of God. That's how we start out. So I'm not preaching this to give you a downer. What I'm doing is I'm saying now imagine what salvation involves and how powerful it is. When God yanks the cord and then plugs you into Christ and now you're fused and bonded and connected to him forever. So let's keep reading. But as we do, check this out. I want you to think about this throughout the passage. Here we have two electrical outlets on the left. You'll see this person, they're alive, but they're alive to sin and they're dead to God. Now, on the right, if you get plugged in over there, you become dead to sin and alive to God. Now, maybe you've heard these terms in Paul's letters, what it means to be dead to sin, alive to God, what it means to be dead in your sins. So let's get it straight. I mean, first of all, an unbeliever has a human spirit. An unbeliever has a human spirit that is alive to sin and connected to sin and plugged in to sin. That's why we have something to get rid of when we're crucified with Christ. Remember, at salvation, you don't just get plugged into a new location. You're crucified, buried, and raised, plugged into Christ. So something about you is done away with, right? When you got saved, you didn't get a new body. When you got saved, you didn't get a new personality. But when you got saved, you got a new spirit, a new human spirit. So the old self dies and you become the new self. You were alive to sin and connected, plugged in to sin. And now you're connected and plugged into God. Isn't that beautiful to think in these terms? It's like a positive and negative charge, you know, electrically speaking. Now, when we read the letters of Paul, we can better understand what it means to be harnessed and connected and plugged in to sin versus being harnessed and connected and plugged in to God as a slave of righteousness. You hear that? It's all coming together. You're connected to Christ. All right, but they, the unbeliever, they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Now, sometimes, like in Romans, Paul will say, God gave them over. But here you're seeing they gave themselves over. 
So both of these are true. God says, hey, if you want your way, have at it. I'll be here when you get back. (laughs) If you want to try to make life work apart from me, go for it. I'll be here. But here in this passage, we're seeing that they give themselves over. It's like they're enticed and they're seduced and they say, all right, let's go see if this works. And then the exercise in futility begins. But, Paul says, you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you've heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. In other words, you weren't taught to remain in futile thinking. You weren't taught to remain in selfishness and greed. You weren't taught to just live a callous life. You, remember when you heard Christ, when you heard the gospel, you were taught not just a new inside, but you were taught a new outside. You were taught to put on love and put on Christ, to wear clothes that fit because you're a saint now. So I want you to notice we're going to go through something here that's pretty deep and meaningful in the next few verses, but I want you to notice that this is about behavior. And he's saying, remember what you were taught. Let go of the old way and look to the new way. All right, now, keeping that in mind, this is what you were taught. In reference to your former manner of life, if you're a, a circler, take that pen and circle manner of life because it's the manner of living that is in focus here. In reference to your manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Now, if I didn't know my Bible, and if I were interested in single verses and creating a theology, then I would walk out of here today and I'd tell everybody, you know what? You need to try to lay aside your old self today. And tomorrow you need to be trying to put on your new self You need to lay aside that old self because it's killing you. It's giving you all these nasty thoughts. Lay it aside. Lay it aside. Try to become the new self. But this is a little tricky, and I'm going to prove it. This verse is connected to the previous verse. And what he's saying is you were taught to lay aside the old self, and you were taught to put on the new self. That's what you were taught to do. And that's what you've done. That's what you've done as a Christian. The old self is gone. The new self is here. So let me give you an example. If you were taught to divide and subtract and add and multiply in grade school, then you were taught that. That's a past tense action. You were taught to divide and multiply and subtract. But wait a minute. Subtract is not in the past tense. Divide is not in the past tense. Add is not in the past tense. I know, but look to the previous sentence. You were taught to add. You were taught to divide. You were taught to subtract. And hey, Christian, you were taught to lay aside the old self and put on the new self. Do you see it? He's talking about what they were taught to do. You don't need to lay aside the old self because the old self is dead, buried, and gone. Now, as far as the manner of life, you know, the way to think and act, sure, let's think in the new way. 
Let's act in the new way, but only because you are new. If you hear what I'm saying, I'm saying you don't need to get new. You are new. So think new. Now, if you don't believe it yet, let's look at Colossians, you know, the sister letter. Here, we don't have infinitives. Here, he put it in past tense. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on, past tense, have put on the new self who is being renewed, how? To a knowledge, a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So do you see what I'm saying? It's really important to get this because people can go through life saying, oh my gosh, I'm sorry I did that. That was my old self. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm two people. I forgot to tell you. Yeah, pastor says, uh, pastor says I'm two people. I got two hearts. I got two natures. I got two selves. It's the black dog and the white dog. I'm trying to starve the black dog and feed the white dog through a lot of devotions and quiet times. And if I can just get the white dog fed, he'll grow strong. And then the black dog, well, he'll slowly die off, you know, my old self. And this stuff is taught. I mean, it's taught throughout Christian circles, uh, the idea that you're still half good, half bad, that God left you as two people, that you got two hearts, two natures, two selves. And Paul is making it clear, no, no, you were taught something. Remember when you were taught the gospel, God's going to do something radical out with the old, in with the new. You lay aside the old self, you put on the new self, and then you even over time, you get renewed in your thinking and in your knowledge. This is important. You're not getting renewed here. You're getting renewed here. You don't need to be renewed here because your heart is new. But you're experiencing the renewing of the mind. So can we do a one-foot journey, one foot, 12 inches from here to here? Can we do a one-foot journey and live from here and let this place where Christ dwells dictate everything, do marriage from the heart, communication from the heart, life, parenting from the heart, forgiveness from the heart, doing life on planet earth from this core place at the center of your being. This is where Jesus lives. He's at work up here, but he lives here and he's operating from here. Give freely from the heart. Paul says, Paul says, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. What's he saying? Live from this place. You have a go-to place in every moment of the day. You don't have to go, oh my gosh, am I grown up enough? Am I dead to sin enough? Am I, am I mature enough? Am I a good enough Christian? Am I to say no to this one, to, say, to resist it? No, you've got a go-to place. He took out your heart of stone. He gave you a new heart. You've got a go-to place. When lust hits and criticism hits and rejection hits and bitterness and resentment hit, you've got a go-to place. You say, I'm dead to that. I'm alive to God, 100% alive to him. I'm plugged in. I'm plugged in. Here it is. This is salvation. In a picture, you get unplugged from Adam and you get placed in Christ. How else does the Bible speak of this? You're taken out of the flesh and you're put in the spirit. You're taken out of Adam and you're put in Jesus. So simple. 
So Paul is constantly talking to in Christ people. That's why it's not legalism. Here's the problem with legalism. We take the foundation, the part where you got plugged into Jesus. We don't even mention it. And then we just say, please live good. Would you please shape up? Would you please do more, be more, volunteer more, try harder, do better? No mention of being plugged into Christ. No mention of striving according to the power at work within me, Paul says. No mention. Just do better, try harder, be a better person, rededicate, recommit, give it your best shot. We'll see you next week for another altar call. Never mind that there are no altars in the New Testament. Never mind that the cross replaced all altars. Never mind that altars are for dead animals and progressive forgiveness. Jesus finished it. Never mind that. We're going to put a piece of wood up here, call it an altar, and ask you to come up and promise to do better this week. And then we'll see you next week. And so we're told to try harder, do more, love better, do better for God. And if we neglect the foundational message of you are plugged into Christ, fused and bonded to his life, it's his effort and his power. Yes, it's your choice to trust him, but it's his effort and his power and his spirit and his life. If we neglect that, all we have left is behavior modification. And you can get that in any local country club. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For, here's the reason, we are members of one another. I belong to you, so it doesn't make any sense to deceive you. You belong to me. Doesn't make any sense to lie to me. We belong to each other. We're part of the same organism. And so he's saying, there's your rationale. There's no guilt. There's no shame. Let's just tell the truth to each other. And mainly, mainly the truth about Jesus. But I want you to notice the therefore, the old preacher's joke, right? What's therefore, therefore? You got to always ask what therefore is therefore, <laughs> Well, remember everything that came before it. What he has said before this is the rationale. So you got unplugged, you got replugged, you're in Christ, you're different, you're new, you're bonded, you're fused. Therefore, walk in a manner that fits who you are now. You look marvelous. Yeah, on the inside spiritually, you are gorgeous. I put that on the internet, you know, on Facebook posts or something, and people are like, really? Spiritually gorgeous? Really? And they couldn't handle that word. I love it. <laughs> because God's righteousness is gorgeous, and you're the righteousness of God. You are the fragrant aroma of God, and whatever is causing that aroma is gorgeous. You're the new self, the new man, the, the new woman in Christ, the new creation. You are spiritually gorgeous. And until we realize that, we're going to be in this weird place of I'm spiritually ugly, but I'm supposed to act gorgeous. What does that even look like? You talk about awkward. I'm evil, but I'm supposed to act holy. I'm bad, but I'm supposed to act good. I'm sinful, but I'm supposed to act righteous. 
I'm sorry, that's a lie and it's a dirty trick. That is a dirty trick of a way to live. God is not asking you to be good when you're bad. He made you good. God is good. He made you good. And he gave you good things to do. Live from the good heart that God gave you. You are new in Christ. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. They offended me. They didn't respect me. They shoulda, woulda, coulda treated me differently. You ever been dissed, disrespected, hurt, rejected? It's okay to be angry. You know, the psychologist will tell you that anger is just a cover-up for hurt. You're hurt first, and then you're angry. The hurt is underneath the anger. So what do you do with all that? You got to process it. Well, I'll... You know, I'll process it when I'm ready. Have you heard that? Uh, I'm not ready yet. Okay, let us know. What's changing? I'm waiting for my feelings to change. Okay? Now, we are spirit, soul, and body. Your feelings will take lots of time. They'll go up and down and all around, but you are deeper than your feelings. Forgiveness is a choice. I know I've mentioned this a hundred times in the last few years, but forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a choice. And I choose as an act of my will because of this new heart, I choose as an act of my will to forgive you and release you from anything that you owe me, even if you do it again. Why would I do that? So that I don't give the enemy an opportunity. Man, you start keeping score, and that emotional meter is going to just, it's going from a 6 to an 8 to a 10. You're living at a 10. Somebody pushes that button. You're at 11 real fast. Your feeler gets stuck. So the only way to reprogram the feeler over time is make the choice. Forgiveness is a choice. Well, I'll never forget what they did. Forgiveness is not forgetting. We're not asking you to go get a frontal lobotomy. You're not going to forget what they did, but you can cancel the debt. Well, forgiveness is progressive. No, it's not. Look at what God did. He sent his son He took away our sins. He forgave us. It was a choice. It was a moment on Calvary. There it is, front and center. And Paul says, just as God forgave you, you forgive others. Forgiveness is not progressive. It's a choice. Feelings are progressive. Well, I'm on a journey. Yeah, you're on an emotional journey. But you can choose today. I cancel the debt. Folks, you think it's for the other person? Maybe they'll benefit. Maybe, if they know that you forgave them. But forgiveness is for you so that you are not held captive by those thoughts. He who steals must steal no longer. Rather, he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Are you a kleptomaniac? Are you running through town grabbing people's stuff? Here's the answer. Paul doesn't say, well, first of all, you're out of fellowship. You need to get back in. You're out of the will of God. You need to get back in. You need to 1 John 1, 9, get down on the ground, beg and plead and hope and wait for God to forgive you. No. 
he says, here's an idea. Stop stealing. Well, I don't know. Get a job? That's what it says. Stop stealing. Get a job. Work with your hands. And instead of grabbing people's stuff, how about you give people stuff? This is a 180, but there's no groveling, there's no guilt trip, there's no begging and pleading for forgiveness. It's do a 180, decide to act differently because you are different and you're not made for that. Taking people's stuff, you've got so much in Christ. Look at you. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth Only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Wow. Now this one, I mean, this one's a challenge. Think about all of our parenting, right? You look at a hundred parents, you survey a hundred parents. I mean, we parents are really good at correction. What about building up? What about edifying? What about giving grace? When's the last time you told your kid, I love you, or I'm proud of you, or you're awesome? We're really good at finding the improvement. Now, what about in how we treat ourselves and how we treat others? So the only way this is going to work is for us to realize this is God's attitude toward us. I mean, God's not majoring in your faults. God has already seen everything you've ever done wrong, everything you ever will do wrong, and he's already said a blanket statement, this is not fair, but he's decided ahead of time, no condemnation for you and you and you, no condemnation for any of you. Now, come, let's do life together. No condemnation, now come, let's do life together. You see that? No scorekeeping. So this idea of being edified, built up, and look at this phrase, give grace. Your words can give grace. Speak freedom. You know freedom. Speak freedom into people's lives. They're looking for relief and refuge and help. They don't want to be shamed or blamed. Speak life and give grace to people. And that is what Jesus is doing in you and me. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What in the world does this mean? Well, I don't think it's a coincidence that it came right after what we just read. What we just read was encourage people, build people up, don't tear them down, build people up, edify them, give grace to them. What's the opposite? No grace, all scorekeeping, rigid, strict, judgmentalism. Everybody falls short and you're going to know it because I'm going to let you know it. And that grieves the spirit. What does that mean? God is deeply concerned over us. When we are on that track and that kind of thinking, God's thinking, wait, do you remember what I think of you? Do you remember what I think of you? Pass that on. Because we're quenching the spirit. We're damming up the floodwaters of the spirit of God. We're not expressing him. Are you still plugged in? Yes. You need to answer that with a definitive yes. You're always plugged in. But there's two ways to walk. You can walk by the flesh, walk by the spirit, but you're always in the spirit. You're always plugged in. Don't grieve the spirit. Don't quench the spirit. Let Christ be Christ. He's not mad. This isn't mad. This is deeply concerned. Imagine if he weren't. Imagine if he didn't care. 
I'm really glad he is grieved at times. He cares like a grieving mother seeing her, her son or daughter run out into the street and maybe he's going to get hurt. So there's deep concern. That's a good thing. God is not a new covenant computer devoid of emotions. God is not a new covenant computer with no reaction to what we're doing. God is involved. Jesus is one with us. So we got saved. Just a reminder, we're almost done, but I want to leave you with this picture today. We got saved. We were unplugged from Adam, unplugged from the flesh, plugged into Christ, plugged into the spirit. Now look at you. God is blue and so are you. God is blue and so are you. The life of God is flowing through you because you have a human spirit connected with him. Don't grieve the spirit. Don't quench the spirit. Let life, let life come out of you because life has been poured in you. Let life be expressed through you because life has been given to you. Now, you see, we'll put the image back up one more time for you. I mean, there's a place of decision. We'll call it the will. You got the will and the mind and the emotions. You see that middle place. Man, when I let sin run the show, that's an outside force. When I let sin run the show, that is something outside of me that I'm letting dominate me. But when I walk by the Spirit, I'm being myself. When I walk by the Spirit, you see how much bigger that place is? That is the dominant force in your life. You are bonded and fused to Christ. And He is your life, your everything. So when we say walk by the Spirit, we're saying act blue because you are blue. God is blue and so are you. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, not to earn God's forgiveness, but forgiving each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Pass it on. Look what he did for you. Look what he did to you. So now pass it on. Express that blueness to the world around you because you are blue at the center of your being. God has transformed your nature, yourself, your heart. You are new and you are blue. So go out and let the color of Christ's life be expressed through you. It's your destiny He's your life. He's your everything. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this invitation. An invitation not to act or be fake or try to be good, but an invitation to actually discover what we want, what we really want, what we're really like. We put off old attitudes. We put on new ones, just like getting dressed. But it's because of who we are. And it's because these things fit. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his life. We thank you for your resurrection life in us that is permanent, unbreakable. Wow. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.